Mitsubishi. What is up, bros? Anybody care to lax? Welcome to episode 17 of the Crease Dive presented by Barstool Sports, your one-stop shop for that stick talk for lax rats, by lax rats. I'm Jordy from Barstool, and joined alongside me this week is, well... Absolutely nobody. Unfortunately, after 16 weeks in a row, Robbie O finally has to miss an episode. Kid has been grinding all season long while also working a regular 9-to-5 office job. So, uh, you know, Kid's been putting in all the work. But unfortunately, for the first time uh, this week, his job is going to keep him from us a little bit here. Uh, also, I was supposed to be joined a little bit later this episode by Tawarton finalist, first-team All-American Attackman out of Yale, Ben Reeves, but uh, Kid unfortunately had to bail at the last second there. Uh, you know, not a not a big deal, I guess. Would have been nice to, uh, you know, maybe get someone else on here if I knew he would have bailed, but whatever. It's a tough time for him. I mean, he's got a quarterfinal matchup coming up here against Loyola, so no hard feelings there, but yeah, I guess in the meantime, it is just going to be myself, a microphone, and some steamy, steamy hot lacrosse takes because we've got a massive weekend ahead of us listen up folks we've only got seven games left in the 2018 college lacrosse season we've got four quarterfinal games coming up this weekend and then next weekend it is mdw at gillette stadium we've got the final four weekend the last three games of the season so seven games left that is all we are down to right now it is quickly rapidly approaching an end uh this season just flew by as do they all um but listen i mean don't don't start crying yet because we've still got those four massive games i was just talking about uh ahead of us this weekend and uh, since it's just me right now, I figured why not get right into it. This will be uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a shorter episode, and we'll just get right into the quarterfinal preview, starting off with that 12 p.m. noon game on Saturday. We've got the Loyola Greyhounds going up against the Yale Bulldogs. Listen, all four of these games are going to be gong shows. All four of these games are going to be uh, you know, can't miss much must watch, uh, you know, events, but you know, out of all the games right now on, on this slate, I think that this Loyola Yale game is going to be probably the tightest out of all of them. Just considering that these are two teams that are basically going to be staring each other in the mirror. I mean, these two teams are so similar. You think about all the stuff that they have in common. Uh, obviously, it all starts with the studs that they have on attack with towards and finalist and first team All-American Pat Spencer of the Loyola Greyhounds and then toward and finalist and first team All-American Ben Reeves of Yale. Uh, you know, these are both guys who have just been lighting the nation on fire over the last three years uh you know and both of them this year to wharton finalist both of them this year have just been putting up massive numbers and both of them this year have uh you know both their teams in the quarterfinals uh you know pat spencer's been to the final four before and ben reeves got his first ncaa tournament win of his career last season or last weekend um but i mean both these guys are absolute phenoms on the offensive side of the ball and i think what really separates these two uh from the rest of you know this isn't a knock on the other three to Wharton finalists but I think this is the thing um, that's probably that works to the advantage of these guys 
the, the most is that they're the most, I would say, I guess the word I'm looking for here is that they're the most cerebral players uh, in the country. I mean, the, the way that these guys see the game, uh, they're both so intelligent, um, you know, and, and that just goes, you know, the, the assist numbers that they put up in their career, the assist numbers that they put up this season. I'm um, just kind of go to show that Spencer has 53 apples on the year. Ben Reeves has 43. Um, you know, both these guys understand the way that the defense is working. Both these guys know where the open space and the open man is going to be. Uh, so even when teams think that they have a perfect game plan uh, to kind of shut these guys down, these guys are smarter than everybody else on the field. I mean, they're going to, you know, you can game plan for them, but then they're just going to kind of, you know, understand what that game plan is. They're going to change. They're going to evolve and adapt. And then they're going to be, you know, they're going to be out game planning. You know, I mean, they're, they feel like these guys play three steps ahead of everybody. Um, but, you know, the one thing that both these teams have again in common is the fact that, you know, they both have first-team All-American defenders. Uh, with Yale, it is freshman Chris Fake. He was the Ivy League Rookie of the Year, the best defenseman in that Ivy League conference as a freshman. Um, first-team All-American there. And then with Loyola, it is Foster Huggins, the senior first-team All-American. Um, so, you know, you, you got two phenoms at attack. Uh, but fortunately for both these teams, they both have first-team All-American defenders that they're going to be able to kind of pull those guys with. Now, in in terms of that matchup, in terms of you know fake on Spencer and Huggins on Reeves, I think I might have to give a little bit of an advantage to Loyola in this one, just because Chris Fake is a freshman. Now I understand that he hasn't been playing like a freshman this year; he's been playing like one of the best defenders in the country. But again, it's it's just he hasn't been on this stage before. It's the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. You win this game, you're at Gillette Stadium playing in the Final Four. If you lose this game, you go home. Um, you know, and I think that you know Foster Huggins. He's a guy who's been here before. It's you know, is he going to be a little bit nervous going up against one of the best attackmen in the nation? Absolutely. But I mean, he goes up against one of the best attackmen in the nation every single day of practice against Pat Spencer. Uh, so I, I don't think that he really has any reason. We don't really have any reason uh, to kind of see him slip up a little bit here. I don't think that we have a reason to see Chris Fake slip up either. Uh, it's just that you know, with him being a freshman, I think that you know Yale's defense has to be a little bit more aware. Um, you know, of Pat. Sp you know, at all six guys. Guys have to be aware of Pat Spencer more than all six guys would have to be aware of Ben Reeves because I think that Foster Huggins probably have, uh, you know, I, I just think that he's more prepared for this. Um, do I think that, you know, Yale's defense is going to be, you know, they're going to have to be quick to go, uh, you know, for Chris Fake? You know, are they going to have to be quick to slide to Spencer? No, I, I think that Chris Fake will probably do, you know, very well one-on-one -on -one with, with Spencer. But uh, people just have to be a little bit more aware. And when people are focusing in on Pat Spencer like that, well, that's when it opens up the field for the lefty assassins on Loyola, Jay Draypal and Kevin Lindley. Both these guys over 30 goals on the season. Uh, and as soon as Pat Spencer opens up the space for them on the field to get their hands free, they're filling the back of the net. I mean, these two guys, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how many beers that they've bought Pat Spencer throughout their career in college so far. Uh, Kevin Lindley is a freshman, so I guess he can't really buy him himself. Uh, but I mean, they're definitely going to have to owe him 
uh, a ton, uh, you know, especially with like alumni weekends and shit like that, because they've go, they've both got uh, over 30 goals on the year. Dre Powell has seven assists. Lindley has three. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that the majority of those goals are all coming off of Pat Spencer dimes, um, you know, but obviously on the other side, you know, Ben Reeves also has plenty of complimentary players going on with him as well. You know, last week we saw Jackson Morrill pop in seven goals against UMass, uh, Jack Ty, Matt Gaudette, uh, you know, all, all three of those guys right there, they all have over 30 goals on the season. Joey Sess is another beauty. So, I mean, both these teams have those great secondary complementary players to go along with their superstar attackmen. I just think that a little bit more space is going to be open for guys like Dre Pal uh, and Lindley than will be open for Moral, Ty, and Gaudette. Uh, and obviously an, another huge matchup here is going to be at the faceoff X. I mean, you've got uh, a guy here, Connor Mackey, a third team All-American for Yale at the faceoff X. And when you look at the two guys who were first team and second team as faceoff specialists, uh, you know, you, you, you realize it's nothing to bat your eyes at. You know, you got uh, Trevor Baptiste of Denver as your first team All-American Fogo. And then you've got TD Erlin as second team. And uh, we'll talk about this in just a second come on up here but that's uh you know that's going to be the huge matchup in that 230 game when it's Albany versus Denver uh but Connor Mackey he's a you know the third guy behind both of those guys right there uh so I mean that's you know if, if it wasn't for the fact that two of the best face-off guys who have ever come through college across were playing this year you know who knows he might be a first teamer uh himself uh but then with Loyola you got a guy like Mike Orfici who, you know, he might not be putting up the numbers, uh, the same kind of numbers as Connor Mackey and obviously not the same kind of numbers as Trevor Baptiste or TD Erlin. But what we've seen out of him is if he gets the ball going forward, it's not a fast break. It is a lightning break. This is the fastest kid alive, the fastest Fogo I've ever seen. This kid books it when he uh, wins the ball going forward. So, you know, he might not win a ton of faceoffs against Connor Mackey, but if he wins any of them going forward, that is just going to jumpstart Loyola's offense. Uh, and and I, I could definitely see a, a couple big goals coming off of faceoffs for Loyola. Uh, so I, I think that I give Loyola the slight edge in this game. You know, like I said, you know, both of these teams score about the same amount of goals per game. Both these teams give up the same amount of goals per game. They're very, very eerily similar. I just think that I give Loyola that slight edge where they come away with this with a one-goal win. Uh, moving on, though, as I just kind of mentioned a little bit before there, uh, probably the most intriguing matchup, not even of just these quarterfinals, but pretty probably in the last few years in college lacrosse, we've got Trevor Baptiste of the Denver Pios taking on TD Erlin and the Albany Great Danes. These two guys have been setting records all year. We've seen both of these guys go 100% uh, in games at the faceoff X this year. Uh, so these are two of the best faceoff guys the game has ever seen. And I have no idea how this one is, is going to shake out. I mean, how do you pick a win? You know, I'm not even talking about Albany versus Denver right now. How do you pick a winner between Baptiste and Erlen? Um, you know, I, I think... You know, right now, I, I, I with like my meatball head, you know, I, I just look at Trevor Baptiste and he's a bigger guy. Uh, you know, he's got this size advantage on Erlen right there. And I think that maybe, you know, I'm, maybe that'll be enough for him to kind of bully TD around a little bit. 
you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I, I think that Baptiste is going to go 75% here. Uh, you know, he, he might, you know, go not even 65%. It might be like a 55-45 split. Um, but, you know, maybe Baptiste is getting a little bit more face-offs up at, than TD. Um, obviously, it's it's really going to come down to wing play. And what we saw last week, uh, you know, especially for Albany, a, a guy like Troy Ray coming down on the wings, uh, you know, he's been huge for, you know, helping uh, Erlen keep those uh, numbers up above 80% on the year. Last weekend, he gets in there on the wings, uh, you know, get, gets a few faceoff wins for TD, gets the ball going down on the offensive side, uh, stays in on offense a little bit. He was able to put home a first-half hat trick as a long pole. So Troy Ray is going to be huge, uh, in, a huge factor in this Erlen-Baptiste matchup. But again, I, I just think that Baptiste comes up with a few more, and that is going to be huge, huge, huge for Denver if they're able to win the possession battle against Albany. Uh, because, you know, what we saw out of guys like Ethan Walker and Austin French last week is these guys are operating at high level efficiency. And Ethan Walker, man, the smoothest stroke in college across. This kid's shot is an absolute beauty, low to high to the day we die. The way that this kid changes planes, it is so smooth, so quick. And it is imp like, I, I know that JD Calaruso for Albany and Ned is a first team All American goalie. I don't. Nobody is seeing shots like like Ethan Walker's every single day at practice. And if you're not seeing that shot every single day at practice, there's no way that you can prepare yourself for it. Uh, and then Austin French putting in four goals against Notre Dame last week. So obviously, you know he he's got that killer instinct going right now. Um, you know, and again, like what we saw out of them is not only were they scoring goals, but they were also taking plenty of time off the clock. You know, having good long smart possessions. Uh, so, you know, if Baptiste is able to kind of win at least a few more faceoffs than Erlen, uh, and you got guys like Walker and, and Austin French doing exactly what they need to do, it'll probably be a pretty good day for Denver. But then you look at the other end of the field, Connor Fields and DeHogan Nanakook looked like they did not miss a beat last week against Richmond. Now, granted, no disrespect to Richmond, but I mean, going up against a Richmond defense, I think. Most guys could look pretty good. Uh, you know, again, not not a knock on Richmond, but most guys with the skill set of Connor Fields and DeHogan Nanako could probably look good against those guys. Uh, and obviously, the the biggest focus all on the knee of Connor Fields right there. Um, and last week we saw it's it's obviously not good. You know, uh, the fact that you know he was such an off ball guy last week. He was not a primary ball carrier. Uh, you know, and what we saw, you know, in that win against Maryland, you know, the, the only reason why Albany won that game is because Connor Fields was, you know, he'd, he'd have, you know, dodge, he'd have touches on the ball that would last 10, 11, 12 seconds. And then he'd finish it with a goal. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't really carrying the ball much against Richmond. I don't know. I don't think that that's necessarily his decision. The kid's obviously playing through a massive injury. I think that, you know, he, he's got the heart. And the, uh, you know, and the grittiness to want the ball, it's probably more of a coach's decision to kind of say, like, listen, Bob, we're trying to preserve that knee for Memorial Day weekend. But with Connor Fields' knee obviously not being 100%, and then DeHoga, I mean, the kid is probably the nastiest finisher in college lacrosse, uh, and he, he's just super smart at getting himself into open spaces off ball. 
but his game isn't, you know, he's not blowing by especially long poles uh, when, when he's dodging. You know, he, he's not a guy who's just going to, you know, just, just run past the pole, draw a slide, and then dish it off. And, you know, what we saw out of Denver's defense last week is, you know, every single guy on Notre Dame's offense that wasn't named Ryder Garnsey wasn't able to beat. It was only Garnsey who was beating them uh, to the cage. The rest of the guy, you know, Brian Costabile, he had a couple step-down bullets, uh, but, I mean, he wasn't beating his guy. Mikey Wynn wasn't beating his guy. Gleason, you know, none of these guys were drawing slides and getting that defense rotating. And, you know, what we saw is is that Notre Dame's offense outside of Garnsey just wasn't very productive. So, you know, I, I think with, with Fields probably not being able to draw many slides on that knee and it just not being in Dehoga's skill set, the most important person for Albany uh, outside of, obviously, T.D. Erlin against Trevor Baptiste in this matchup is going to be a, a guy like Kyle McClancy. I think that he's their best dodging midfielder, uh, you know, and, and he's he's very good from all areas of the field. I mean, he can dodge from up top. He's very smooth from the wings. You can invert him, get him going from behind. Uh, I would actually like to see, you know, Jacob Patterson getting some invert dodges as well there. Um, you know, I think that those are two guys that they give you, you know, kind of your best option to, you know, beat their defender, draw a slide, get that defense moving, and then when that defense is moving, uh, then you get the ball into into the stick of guys like Connor Fields and Dehoga Nanakoke, and then that's when you let them go to work. That's when they're at their best, when defenses are all out of whack and they're able to just, you know, zip it around, find the open guy, and just, you know, hopefully get it over to Dehoga for a nice little dunk. Yeah, I mean, my brain right now is telling me, you know, with – with Baptiste probably winning at least a few more faceoffs in this game, and you know, with guys like Ethan Walker and Austin French scoring, you know, at the at the efficiency that they've been scoring at, uh, and and with them taking you know a decent amount of time off the clock with their possession, my brain is telling me that Denver probably comes out of here with a one goal win. But my heart, I, you know, I, I've been piping up Albany all season long. I've I've been on them for the last few years. My heart right now, I would love to see this program finally get over that hump, finally get to the Memorial Day weekend, um, especially a kid like Connor Fields, who uh, he's been a warrior, you know, ever since going down with that knee injury, playing through it. Um, you know, and last week we saw him become the second all-time point scorer in NCAA lacrosse history. The kid is a stud. Uh, he deserves to be playing Memorial Day weekend. So my heart says Albany. My brain says Denver. Both of them would be a one-goal game. Just take that for what it's worth. Uh, if I have to make an official pick, it's, it's going to be Denver. But again, uh, heart right now is with Albany. Uh, so that'll be the Saturday slate of games. I guess if, if you put a gun to my head and you force me to pick a winner, I'm, I'm going Loyola by one and Denver by one. Uh, but, you know, neither of them, I'm, I'm not – completely sold on either of them that's just where my brain's at right now moving over into the sunday slate of games starting off sunday at noon at the naval academy in annapolis we've got justin gutterding and the duke blue devils going up against kyle marr shaq stanwick joel tinney and cole williams of the johns hopkins blue jays we've got coach danowski going up against coach petro Two legends of the game going up one against another on the sidelines. This is going to be, uh, I mean, these are two 
programs, uh, you know, two of the more historic programs in college across playing at one of the most historic stadiums in Annapolis. Uh, this is going to be a, a, you know, just a great game uh, for lacrosse. And right now I, I think in order to beat this Duke team, you need to put together a full four quarter effort. And something that I've been saying about Hopkins for a while now, it's, you know, the last few seasons, the thing that's really been plaguing Hopkins is inconsistency. And, you know, again, the last couple seasons, it was inconsistency from game to game, week to week, where, you know, one game they would look like they're the greatest team in the country. The next week, it would look like they're a bunch of guys who never picked up a lacrosse stick before. What's been going on this year is they've been pretty consistent with getting wins. You know, they they've had a uh, you know a very strong year, twelve and four, uh, Big Ten champions. So you know that part, you, you know, going from game to game has been there. But within the games themselves has been where the most of the inconsistency is. You know, we saw it last weekend against Georgetown. That first half, that Georgetown defense was bullying Hopkins' offense, and you know, granted. That Georgetown defense, one of the best, uh, you know, defensive units in the country. Uh, you know, they're a bunch of big boys who play, you know, bully defense. And, you know, they were having their ways. And, and guys, uh, you know, on Hopkins just weren't able to get anything done. It was looking pretty sloppy on offense, the few chances that they had. And then, you know, not even the second half, just the fourth quarter, Kyle Marr scores five goals in that quarter alone and pushes that game into overtime. And then that's when it's Shaq Stanwick with the overtime dagger for the win. Uh, but, I mean, that game, that team looked dead. They looked like they were done uh, in the first half against Georgetown there, and then they were able to come back and win that one. We also saw, you know, pretty similar thing against Virginia earlier in the year. You know, they, they go down, they're getting their dicks kicked in, and then, you know, they, they come out in that second half, they start shooting the shit out of the ball, and they come out of there with a, uh, you know, a 15-13 to 13 win. So, again, you know, th this Hopkins team is – They've been able to get the wins that they're looking for. It's just they haven't exactly been pretty. They've had to, you know, they rely on being a, a team that goes on runs in these games. And when you're going up against a team like Duke with a prolific offense, you know, going up against guys like Justin Gutterding, Joe Robertson, uh, you know, Brad Smith, uh, Joey Manow. I mean, these are all guys, you know, even last weekend, Nakai Montgomery scores a hat trick against Villanova. Now, granted, all three of them were bound shots, so, you know, they only, only count for half. But still, I mean, this is a team uh, that just has, you know, such, uh, you know, so many more weapons offensively than I think that Georgetown does. So, you know, what happened last week is Hopkins goes on that run where Kyle Marr scores five goals in the fourth quarter. Georgetown's offense just became anemic, and they didn't, you know, they no one was showing up for Georgetown there to kind of put an end to that run, uh, to stop the momentum, to get it swinging back in their favor. You do that against Duke, I mean, yeah, you, you could get, you know, th your three goals in a row, but the next time that Duke touches the ball, they're going to put it in the back of the two, and then there goes all that momentum. So, you know, I, I don't think that you can rely on being a streaky team that goes on runs in games against Duke because I think that they're just too good to a point where, you know, they're going to put an end to your run way quicker at least than than Georgetown did last week. And, and then another, I mean, you got Coach Danowski going up against Coach Petro. Like I said, two legends of the game, two, you know, two of the, uh, you know, the biggest names as far as coaches go in college across Petro. I mean, great defensive mind. He's more of a mob boss in my opinion than anything. I just, 
it's it's a rule of mine that I do not bet against Coach Donowski in the month of May. So, like I said, I think that you need to put a full four quarters together against this Duke team in order to beat them. And from what we've seen out of Hopkins this year, they, they just – They've done it a, a few times, but rarely do they ever put those full four together. Um, and then again, you know, the, the senior class at Duke looking to get to championship weekend for the first time in their career. You know, I, I think that this is just a team on a mission right now. And I think that we will see them punch their ticket to Gillette on Sunday. And that'll bring us into the final game of the quarterfinal weekend, we've got the reigning champs, the Maryland Terps, going up against Jeff Teat and the Cornell Big Red. And last week, holy shit, Maryland did not. Maryland looked, oh my God, that was not a great game against Robert Morris to uh, open up the tournament for them. That first half, they were getting shit pumped by Bobby Moe. And what Robert Morris was doing is they were just beating the shit out of Maryland's short stick defensive middies. And it really wasn't even close. I mean, it, it wasn't like an extended one-on-one -on -one drill where a guy who's dodging for 15 seconds finally got a lucky break and went to the – like, they were just blowing by guys. Like, to a point where, you know, Maryland's SSDMs, they weren't even getting contact on Dodgers. I mean, they were just getting blown past – and then when they were getting blown, the rest of the guys on Maryland's defense, they just, you know, they, they were, you know, hesitating to slide. They were either hesitant to slide or no slide at all. So it was just a, like a walk to the park for, uh, you know, for Robert Morris's attackmen and middies who were inverting uh, to just, you know, go right to the cage and dunk it. The very few times that they did slide, it was, they, they were just picking like terrible times to slide. I mean, You'd have a, a guy getting pushed below GLE. All of a sudden, they send like a coma slide over. That opens up the backside for an easy dunk. So, you know, Maryland is going to need to shape the fuck up on the defensive side of the ball if they are going to make it to a fifth straight appearance to Memorial Day weekend. And if I'm Maryland, what I do right now, you know, what we've seen out of, you know, we saw it against Syracuse last weekend. We, I'm pretty sure we saw it with uh, Yale in the Ivy League championship is, you know, teams now, they are, uh, you know, they've decided that in order to win, they need to shut off Jeff Teat. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it, it makes plenty of sense. I mean, the kid's an All-American. A lot of people think that he should be there as a Tawarton finalist. He's got 97 points on the season, 37 goals, 60 assists. Kid is an absolute stud. And, you know, it, so I, I think Maryland has to follow suit there. I think that they're probably going to want to have to shut that kid off. If I'm them, I, I, I make sure that I do it with a short stick. I get a short stick. I make sure that he's a, a great athlete, and I basically have him just run around hugging Jeff T every single where he goes. You do not let him get an inch of space against you uh, because it, you know if, if you kind of throw away a pole to shut off T with – well, you know, that that's just, you know, like we saw, obviously Cornell is going to watch the tape against Robert Morris. Obviously, they're going to attack the short sticks, uh, you know, dodging against them. So if you got, you know, one short stick who's, who's locking up Teat, uh, you know, that only leaves one other guy exposed for, you know, Cornell's, uh, you know, for, for them to dodge against. And then you still have four poles to slide with. Um, obviously, Teat, smart guy, you know, if, if you shut him with the short, he's, he's going to do, you know, uh, you know, try to get around that, set some picks to, you know, either open himself up or open other guys up to get a short stick matchup. Uh, if I'm like, just 
don't switch that. Like, just make sure you have a short stick just basically, you know, glued to Jeff T the entire time. And you do not want to let uh, Cornell's offense get a running start at their short stick D mids because, you know, they, they are uh, – <laughs> Robert Morris's offense was actually pretty nasty. But, I mean, you got a guy like, you know, like Clark Peterson there uh, who had – pretty sure he had – four or five goals against Syracuse last week. So, I mean, these are guys who are able to find the back of the net. And if you make it easy for them, you're going to be in for a long, long day. So, uh, and then on the other side of the ball, I mean, what we saw work really well for Maryland in that second half, once they made those adjustments, uh, what worked best for them is they had Connor Kelly just being lights out, shooting the shit out of the ball. Uh, you know, this is a year where we've seen Connor Kelly really turn into, uh, you know, one of the better feeders in the nation. Uh, you know, in his freshman, sophomore, junior year, I mean, you can take all of his assists in those first three years combined. He has more assists in this year alone than all, all three of those previous years. But last week, um, I, th I think maybe Tillman got in his ear a little bit during halftime and was like, listen, like, stop passing the ball to all these guys. Like, no one's showing up. I need you to just fill the back of the net. And he said, yes, coach, and had four goals in that game. And they were all from range, and they were all bullets high to low, um, you know, it, Against that Robert Morris, like, no disrespect. I, I don't want to be, like, a dick about it or anything. Uh, but that Robert Morris goalie was a little bit uh, on the thicker side, I would say. And I also think he was wearing a knee brace there. So, obviously, he's not going to be quick to get down low to those shots. So, he might have to change up his shot selection a little bit here uh, against Cornell. But, you know, you, you want him to be shooting the ball. We've seen him show up in major games before and just bring the heat with the lasers, especially in that national championship game against Ohio State last year. So you want Connor Kelly to be shooting the shit out of the ball. Then you need the freshmen like Bubba Fairman and Logan Wisnowskis. You need them to continue showing up in this one. Last week, Bubba Fairman slams on the brakes at X, throws his defender in the back of the net, hesitates a little bit, kind of, you know, almost dunk faces him, then comes around and stuffs it in the back of the net there. Uh, nasty goal from him. Logan Wisnowskis has 30 goals on the year. So, you know, you need to see, you know, maybe, you know, two goals out of both of those guys guys uh you know jared bernhardt keep him going a little bit uh you know and, and then the other seniors like uh you know tim rotans you know get, get them uh you know you you want to really rely on tim rotans and connor kelly at this point because they've been on like this is not a big stage for them there are four classes of players playing for maryland right now Three of those classes, uh, every single year that they've been at Maryland, they have ended their season on Memorial Day Monday. Uh, you know, whether it, it was with the national championship last year or with a couple of losses in the previous two years from that, it just depends on how old they are. But three-fourths of this team uh, have never ended their season not on the last game of the season. Uh, and the only group of guys who haven't played on Memorial Day Monday are all the freshmen because they spent the last four years in high school. But, you know, so like this stage right now for Maryland, especially for, you know, seniors like Connor Kelly and Tim Rotans who have been there time and time and time again, um, you know, it, it's just it's a quarterfinal matchup to them. Like it, it's not really a big deal. Um, you know, they're I, I don't, it kind of sounds like dickish almost. And I doubt that they would think this way. But, you know, you have to imagine that. You know, the regular season doesn't really mean anything for Maryland at this point. Hell, the first, you know, round of the tournament probably doesn't mean anything for them either. Like, this is where their season starts. It's win this game, 
get to the championship weekend where they belong, where they've been the last four years. Uh, you know, and I think that, you know, as long as, you know, you're, you're able to contain Jeff T and, uh, you know, not expose your short stick D middies against the rest of Cornell's offense. And as long as Connor Kelly is just lights out shooting lasers left and right. Um, I, th- I think that Maryland makes this, uh, you know, makes their fifth straight trip to championship weekend. And, you know, this one might even be the biggest blowout of the weekend, and it'll be a two-goal game. So a two-goal game in the quarterfinal is uh, about as good as you're going to get for a blowout. Uh, but, yeah, so those are my, uh, you know, my, my picks for the quarterfinal weekend. Just recapping here, um, obviously none of these are anywhere close to locks. Uh, and, you know, none of these are even really set in stone. But this is just where my brain is at right now. Uh, so in that first game on Saturday, I've got Loyola over Yale. Um, you know, I, I just think that right now, I just kind of have to give the edge to Pat Spencer. I, I just think that he's playing uh, at an unreal level right now. So that'll be a you know one goal coin flip game. But I got Loyola over Yale again. The, the second game, it's so tough. My brain is saying Denver by one. My heart is saying Albany by one. Uh you know, I let, just just give me the Dane train. Keep the Dane train rolling. I'm going Albany over Denver by one. So we got uh, the Greyhounds and the Great Danes. Couple of dogs coming out on top on Saturday, and then on Sunday I am going Justin Gutterding and the Duke Blue Devils making a trip to the Final Four over Johns Hopkins. And then I've got Maryland going right back to where they belong. Memorial Day weekend at Gillette Stadium getting that win over Cornell. So we've got Maryland, Duke, Loyola, and Albany as my final four. Um, but again, like all these games are going to be absolute shit shows uh, in the best way possible. So make sure that you have yourself a TV. Make sure that you grab yourself a couch to throw your ass on. Make sure you grab yourself a case of beer because we've got an unreal weekend coming up here of college across the second to last weekend of the season cherish every single moment of these games and yeah so that that is going to wrap things up for the quarter final preview show again like uh, first off real quick shout out to all of you right now if you stuck by with this entire episode uh you know definitely a, a weird episode not having uh you know, not having Robbie O here, not having a guest, it, you know, definitely a little awkward for me just kind of speaking into a mic here. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it if you guys stuck around for the whole thing. Like I said, Rob, Robbie O is going to be back, uh, you know, next week. And then next weekend, we're going to be up at Gillette Stadium for the Final Four. We will be their boots on the ground. So if anyone else is going to be making that trip over to Foxborough, make sure you let us know. We'll try to set some stuff up for this weekend coming up here. Uh, you know, and make sure that you are following us on our social channels because we're going to have a, a ton of stuff going on there as well with the Final Four weekend. So that is at The Crease Dive on both Twitter and Instagram. Tell your friends, tell your family. Tell your enemies, tell literally everybody to follow at The Crease Dive on both Twitter and Instagram. Unreal weekend coming up here. And yeah, and in the meantime, low to high to the day we die. We out.